Welcome to the CDH Conversations podcast, where we'll be speaking about remote working, the new normal. I am Rizichi Kashero Andego, an associate at CDH in the Employment and Corporate and Commercial Departments. Joining me today is Rina Shah, the Senior Legal Advisor and Data Protection Champion of the East and Southern African region at Nestle. Welcome, Rina. And Sylvia Kamanga, a trainee advocate in the Corporate, Commercial and Employment Departments. Welcome, Sylvia. To date, COVID has changed how we work. Face-to-face meetings are taken by video call meetings. Organizations are adopting hybrid systems where employees are permitted to work from home on certain days, whilst other organizations are completely adopting remote working systems, permitting their employees to work all over the world. A remote work conference held in Stanford earlier this year revealed that working from home options are more valued by women, persons with children under the age of 14, more educated persons with advanced degrees, and those with longer commutes. So for instance, a married woman with a graduate degree, a child under the age of 14, and a 45-minute one-way commute is likely to prefer working from home in comparison to a single college-educated man who lives five minutes from the office. On the other hand, we're seeing these single young men and women looking to work remotely anywhere in the world with no boundaries as to where they call home. Now, this does raise a lot of questions for employers and employees alike. How does an employer determine if they can adopt a working from home or hybrid working system or remote working system? How can one work remotely? That is, what are the resources that can be utilized? How does an employer balance the different expectations of the employees by ensuring that they obtain the highest performance from each employee? Today's discussion in this podcast, we do hope we manage to provide you with some clarity on the current developments worldwide and the different aspects that you may consider as an employer and employee likewise. This brings me to our first question. Sylvia, this new global phenomenon of working from home, what are the recent trends you have seen worldwide with respect to working remotely? Well, globally, we've seen a shift from the pre-established on-site working to a more flexible structure of remote working, both on a short-term and long-term basis. We've seen companies such as Kayak adopt a completely flexible remote working approach by allowing their employees to set up anywhere the company has a legal entity in place, so long as the employee is able to obtain the appropriate visa to work there. This brings us to the first major development in this new world, the introduction of the specialized visas. So we've seen more than 20 countries across the globe, such as Portugal, Norway, and Brazil, offer specialized visas, dubbed the digital nomad visas, to let foreigners live and work remotely within their borders for a period as short as one year to longer periods such as 10 years in countries like Thailand. We've also seen another trend in reforms to Airbnb and hotels. We've seen companies like Airbnb embrace remote working structure by introducing a live and work anywhere program in which it is partnering with 20 destinations around the world to create custom digital hubs, providing information such as visa requirements, tax policies, and a comprehensive list of the best long-term stay accommodations. Furthermore, we've seen the company adopting the remote work working structure itself by allowing its employees to live and work in more than 170 countries for up to 90 days of the year in each location. Hotels are also doubling down and incorporating their flexible working spaces for travelers within their hotels. We've seen the incorporations of flexible co-working spaces in hotels, which provides the traveler with the tools and the space they need to work. In smaller hotels, which may not have space to have the inbuilt workspaces, we've seen companies 
like Kreml come up with creative solutions by building glass cubes that act as workspaces containing anything the employee needs to work and placing them in underutilized areas in the hotel, such as the garden areas. Finally, we've seen a development in the software area in assisting workers. We have multiple applications that have developed with the digital nomad in mind. Examples of these software tools include online resources on how to become a digital nomad and factors that need to be considered. We have apps like Meetup that are used in team building, Discord that's used to connect with other remote workers around the world, and apps like Revolt and Wise, which are used for bypassing hefty ATM or international money transfers. It's exciting to see where the remote working age will go and the developments that will come up along the way. Thank you, Silva. That's quite insightful. It's good to see governments and organizations quickly reacting to how the world is changing and providing innovating solutions to recent developments. It's, it's actually predicted then that a decade from now that remote working will be the new norm, completely eradicating the eight to five setup. However, of course, such advancements come with their challenges. So I'll pose this question to you, Rina. Please, could you explain what the possible challenges are and how an employer can minimize these potential risks? So firstly, I want to actually say thank you to Sylvia for some more insight on what kind of remote working opportunities there are. I have to admit the Portugal opportunity sounds really fantastic. But in terms of challenges with working remotely and, and how an employer can minimize these risks, I think um, one of the main challenges, and I'm coming in here as the market data protection officer for Nestle in our region, it's ensuring personal or sensitive data is kept secure and doesn't get into the wrong hands. So this, and, and I can't repeat this enough, it really does require a lot of creation of awareness and training on the part of employers. You know, employers need to understand how to determine the data that they hold, whether it's personal data, what kind of sensitivity level that data is. But that being said, employers also need to be aware that employees may use public networks. So these are obviously internet connect that you would find widely available at cafes and libraries. These kind of public networks, they are easy to hack. And a way that employers can address this is by providing VPNs for employees to securely access their systems. They need to ensure that employees are using, for example, SharePoint or OneDrive and, and other company-approved tools only. These are some of the few measures that they can take to protect their data. Employees, as I, as I mentioned, they also need to be obviously trained and reminded that they need to encrypt data wherever possible. They need to ensure that they're not just saving um, information onto USB drives that can get lost easily. So if they are going to use that, they need to encrypt the data that they save there. One of the things that Nestle recently implemented was a no USB device policy. I mean, I guess it's not necessarily a policy, but they, they blocked all of our USBs from access via storage devices like a USB stick, etc. Not only does that protect the organization from external hacking devices, but it also prevents data from leaving the organization that could be possibly sensitive and loss of that data. 
Other challenges I think employers need to be quite aware of are very basic in nature. Uh, do employees have access to a stable Wi-Fi connection at home or wherever they're located? Uh, for those of us working in areas that experience power cuts, do we have a backup? In Kenya, one of the things that I noticed when I moved from South Africa is that the organization in South Africa had provided me with a SIM card for access to data on my laptop. But in Kenya, we determine this as an employee benefit. It's a taxable benefit. So who or how will the tax be allocated? This is another consideration that employers need to have. Another consideration, and, and, and I think it goes to Sylvia's discussions earlier, that although organizations may be making working from home more accessible, but that's not always possible for all types of employees. Some employees have families. So when the pandemic hit, I was actually based in South Africa and the country went through a complete lockdown. Not only did we not have facilities like what Sylvia mentioned, but employees had to overnight try and figure out how to work from home in limited space with limited tools and facilities available at home. They were forced to make do with, you know, dining tables as workspaces or work in confined spaces with children running around, managing calls between themselves and their spouses. And obviously, as time goes, these issues are slowly finding some sort of resolution. But is that only available for people who can afford to have an office space within their home? You know, these are considerations that an employer needs to also think about. What about their, their just the basics, like having a chair? Something that Nestle did was they realized after several months, employees don't actually have proper facilities, ergonomic chairs, etc., to work and sit at home for such long hours. So these are just some of the things that an employer needs to start considering and consider how they can approach these issues, if we want to call them that. Oh, thanks so much, Ina. That's so insightful. There's so many, I don't want to say tiny issues, but so many aspects that come into play when you think about remote working. And I like the fact that you pointed out on training of employees and creating the awareness and Wi-Fi connection and power cuts and, you know, the facilities that an employee needs you know, to, to work from home or to work remotely. And I like the fact that you've also referred to Nestle, which now leads me to my next question. Has Nestle developed such a, a working from home policy or policy that affects remote working? And what are the most important aspects for Nestle to include in the policy? And lastly, practically, are there some things that just don't work in the policy that you're looking to amend? So we do have a work from home policy. It serves as a guideline. The approach that Nestle has taken is that individual markets should decide how they will approach the issue of working remotely. So as I explained, there was actually within the region that I work in itself, there was a difference between the way Kenya approached it because of obviously the tax considerations and the way South Africa approached the, the work from home change. So in South Africa, obviously providing data was not considered an issue. But in Kenya, because of the implications on it being a taxable benefit, uh, there's a lot of discussions that are still ongoing on how to facilitate this new culture that is coming into place. But as I said, I mean, we're, we're still working on it. We're all currently learning how to approach this new working culture. And the one important aspect that I, I believe Nestle has considered is the input from employees. So, you know, if I were to speak about important aspects for the policy, it would be consider 
employee views. How do they feel about working remotely? Some are quite comfortable with the idea. Some, like myself, I want clarity. Either I'm going to the office or I'm working from home. I don't want to have a couple of days in the office, mandatory, couple of days from home, uh, et cetera. You know, I, I want to have the hybrid for me is a little bit disruptive. For others, the hybrid is really comfortable for them. It allows them to address, you know, their responsibilities at home quite easily, as well as their responsibilities and their deliverables uh, regarding the organization. So I can't say at the moment that we have specific aspects that Nestle has considered for the policy that every employer needs to consider, save for the fact that employee mental health is really important. Changing this working culture it doesn't just impact the bottom line, but it really impacts employee health. And that's mental health, rather. Some employees really did not find that change in culture comfortable for them. And so is it fair to impose such a culture completely on them. These are just some of the things that I think Nestle is toying with at the moment. And that's why Nestle has left it to different markets to also consider their approach individually. Thank you, Rina. I actually love the fact that the approach Nestle has taken is quite employee-friendly or employee-focused, which is not frequent in many companies that are now adopting the remote working or hybrid situation. We seem to have um, a lot of, you know, one standard policy and it should apply to everyone, no matter the different considerations that could take place or not considering the employee at all. So to conclude, we'd like to know what's your take on where Kenya stands in its uptake of remote or hybrid working. Do you think we're doing well or do you think we have a long way to go? So if I answer specifically for Kenya, I think most organizations in Kenya are not as progressive. We have some employers such as Safaricom, Microsoft, even Nestle to a certain extent that are comfortable with people working from home. But the remote or hybrid working culture, I think it's more easily adopted by digital organizations or organizations whose prime working environment is in the digital sector. For others, it's quite difficult. In Kenya, we actually have a manufacturing facility. So that's obviously not going to be uh, possible within the manufacturing sector itself. But then there's the other roles that it could be possible for. You can see in the pharma industry, some organizations in the pharma industry have adopted a hybrid culture. But I think as a country, we've got a long way to go in terms of also leadership and, and the approach that we as senior leaders have to managing employees, the trust that we have in employees doing what they need to that goes obviously beyond just Kenya in terms of the legal elements. That's now we're looking at changing the way that Kenya works in terms of just individual organizations and how we as people working within Kenya, how comfortable are we with managing employees remotely? We've traditionally not had to do that. And, and that takes a lot of effort from managers as well as employers. So we've got a way still to go. But I think, as you mentioned, there's hope 10 years down the road. Maybe we won't need to have these large facilities that are just cost incurring. Kenya, in that sense, fortunately, we didn't suffer the same sort of level of impact as other countries during the pandemic. And as a result, we possibly weren't 
forced to reconcile with this new working culture as quickly. Other countries really did suffer. And as a result, unfortunately, they had to figure out a way to make it work. So maybe that's fortunate or unfortunate. I think rather fortunate, at least in terms of the pandemic, unfortunate in terms of being progressive in that nature. Thank you, Irina. You've really raised some good points. That there's, there's a lot to think about and focusing on Kenya as a jurisdiction. There's still a, a lot that needs to be taken into consideration before accepting um, remote or hybrid working. And to just like summarize the factors that we've noticed, especially in this podcast, is one, immigration laws. So if Kenya is going to accept remote workers, maybe we should consider developing a special remote working pass or some sort of visa for remote workers. And also policies will be required to change where employers and employees create a relationship of trust and where senior leaders are open to accepting this sort of remote working, hybrid working situation where performance is measured maybe on a financial or task-oriented basis where time difference is taken into consideration. How do you schedule meetings? Is it a disciplinary issue if an employee can't attend a meeting because, you know, there's an eight-hour working difference? So there's so many aspects that need to be taken into consideration when thinking of implementing um, this new working system for government and also for organizations and senior leaders. And usually Kenya leads the pack when it comes to innovation and tech. So we're looking to see more development in this area. So for me just now is to say thank you, Rina, and thank you, Sylvia, for such an insightful conversation. Uh, personally, I've learned a lot and I'm sure our audience has too. So for me to say thank you and until next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. We make no representations, warranties or guarantees whether expressed or implied that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. We accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.